0: You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Good morning, Riverside and guests. Happy Easter. He is risen. Amen. He is risen. In my Methodist church, we would always say he is risen indeed. How many of you grew up saying that? All right. If you're brand new today, my name is David. It's my privilege to be able to share God's word with you today. And for those of you who are visiting from out of town, I see a lot of you who've called Riverside home over the years and you're back in the area. We're so honored to be able to have this time together. College students, maybe on spring break, glad to have you with us as well. Wish you well as you head back uh, probably later today or tomorrow and finish out your semester we're going to crack open God's Word together. Are you ready? Whether or not you are or not, I'm going to do it. So if you would like to open up your Bibles to the Gospel of John, we're going to land the plane on this series that we have been in that we've entitled Spotlight. So if you need a Bible, there are some below you there in the chairs, below the seats there, you can follow along there. As Michael adequately mentioned earlier, we have the Riverside app, and inside that app you can turn and and tag there inside the, the Today tab and look for the notes for the Mills location, and those are a great way for you to be able to follow along. We'll put some stuff up on the screen, but there's always nothing like having your own digital or paper Bible there in your hands to be able to follow along today. As I mentioned, we're landing the plane in this series, we're gonna begin a brand new series next weekend. I'll tell you more about that later. But today, we're ending a series that has been in the Gospel of John. There are four accounts for the life of the life of Jesus. For those of you, maybe who are newer to the scriptures, four eyewitness accounts of the life of Christ. John is one of those, and inside of John's gospel, he constantly talks about glory. And he talks about how Jesus came to push glory, to point people, to put the spotlight on the Lord, on his heavenly Father. In fact, Jesus, on the night of his betrayal, he prayed a prayer, and in the context of that prayer, it's been our theme verse for this entire series. Jesus says, I brought you glory here on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. And so... We've been talking about how Jesus put the spotlight on his heavenly father, but how we as well are supposed to put the spotlight in our lives upon Christ now in this generation with our lives and with our time. And so today we thought it was appropriate to land this series, to finish this series off by talking about a glorious comeback. A glorious comeback. Now, who doesn't love? a glorious comeback. I mean, you think about the individual stories of people coming back. I mean, most recently you've got Tiger Woods coming back from not having had a major in over 10 years. And so you see those kinds of things. You see athletes who get hurt, they get injured. I remember one specific tennis player that was a, a fanatic fan of one player uh, was, was uh, inside of an arena there where one of the tennis players was playing and she got stabbed in the back several times and she had to work for years to come back, but then she got to come back and, um, and finish her career. You think about teams, and how they get behind in a, in a basketball series or in a, in a baseball series or a football game. They come from behind. We've seen great come from behinds. Unfortunately, the Penguins, the comeback was not available this year, so uh, you can come down to the altar and seek God for that later if you would like to pray for next season if you're a hockey fan. You think about countries after the devastation of war and after the devastation of maybe natural disasters, how they make a comeback from that. And, Think about even the fire that just occurred in France and the church that was damaged there, the cathedral there, and how that will work over the next several years to try to come back from that. Well, today Easter celebrates the greatest comeback in all of history, and the Lord Jesus Christ came back from the dead. And if you're exploring faith in Christ, you need to know that Jesus' followers aren't about buildings, Although we meet them, we meet in them. We're not about the scripture. Although we love God's word, that's not the foundation of our faith. The Bible is not the foundation of our faith. It's wonderful, and I cherish every word in it, and I believe it's authoritative. But the foundation of our faith is an event. The foundation of our faith is what we celebrate today. The foundation of our faith is the resurrection. You think about it, followers of Jesus didn't have a Bible in their hands for hundreds and hundreds of years after the resurrection. They didn't put their faith on scrolls. They put their faith in an event, in a man who had come back, the greatest comeback in all of history, came back from the dead. And so we're gonna talk today uh, about a specific person on the backside of the Easter story, who actually experienced a setback before he could experience a comeback. Now, think about movies. Think about your favorite movies that you've ever watched or whatever. And don't we love a great comeback in a movie? One of my favorite comeback movies. He always seems to get down in every single fight that he's in, and then he always come back. He always comes back. Who am I talking about? Rocky. Exactly. Well, today we're gonna talk about another Rocky. We're gonna talk about the apostle Peter and how he experienced, because of the resurrection, though he had had a setback, he experienced a glorious comeback, not because of how great he was, but because of Jesus and Jesus' glory. So what is the anatomy of a glorious comeback? Let me tell you just a little bit about the Apostle Peter. He didn't uh, start out as an apostle. He was called by Jesus. He's actually from Capernaum, which is in northern Israel. In fact, for those of you who call Riverside home, you know that I was just in Israel with a group of Riversiders just a couple of weeks ago. And I stood at the very house that we believe where Peter lived. There's enough archeological evidence and enough evidence there in Capernaum to lead us to believe that we know where Peter's house is. In fact, there's a church built over the top of it, but you can see down in through the archeological digs what Peter's house would have looked like where Jesus actually healed Peter's mother-in-law. His name wasn't Peter to begin with. That was a nickname. Jesus gave him that nickname. In fact, his name, uh, Petros, means rock. In Aramaic, it's Cephas, which means stone. But his given name was Simon. But Jesus saw him and he said, hey, long before Sylvester Stallone comes on the scene, you're going to be the original Rocky. So if we were to nickname him today, that's kind of who he would be. He was a fisherman, he was very much kind of a, uh, an impetuous man. In fact, I heard one commentator say that Peter may have been the first person ever to truly be born with a foot-shaped mouth. He was always sticking his foot in his mouth. He was passionate, but yet he was also a bit hot-tempered. He got into trouble some over the years. But the comeback that we're gonna see today as we look at John 21, shows us so clearly how Jesus puts the spotlight upon the life who is being transformed so that that life can then put the spotlight on him for the rest of his life and how he brings his glory to bear, not just in Peter's life, but in our lives. And so today, if you came into this place skeptical about faith, but you've been invited because you know you're going to an Easter celebration later, I'm so glad you're here. If you're convinced and you're all in, I'm so glad that you're here. And anywhere in between, I'm so glad that you could share this time with us today as we unpack these verses. If you're searching, if you've lost something along the way, if you've experienced a setback, maybe even this week or recently, then you need to know that Jesus wants to help you to have a glorious comeback in your own life. Because of the resurrection, there is no setback from which you can come back. And I've looked into the eyes of many of you. Setbacks always come in the form of loss. And as I look out here and I think about the setbacks that we've experienced together over these last 13 years that this site has been in existence and the the 20 years I've been able to be on staff at this church, I've seen so many of you as you've experienced the setbacks. You've lost your job. You've lost your sobriety, your spouse. You've lost maybe a baby along the way. You've lost your money. You've lost your marriage. You've lost your health. You've lost your hope. And in the middle of all of that, you need to know how do I come back from that? And the story that we're going to look at here today depicts a man who had been on the inner circle of Jesus. He'd been as close to that inner circle. He'd been in, in some very specific moments. In fact, he was in the moment when Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? Peter's the guy that said, I'm, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. And he's the one right there in Capernaum where he, he made that confession. And Jesus said, hey, I'm going to build my church on that confession. And the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, will not be able to prevail against it. And so this is a guy who's been as close as you could be. But yet the night before Jesus is crucified, Peter, the rock, crumbles into rubble. And he had the first major setback. But Jesus, on the post-resurrection side, allows him to have a glorious Come back. So we're going to look at John chapter 21, as I mentioned. Jesus has resurrected. He's already appeared to his disciples. Peter knows he's alive, but there's no doubt this sense of this denial is still hanging over his head, the guilt and the shame of that, that distance that he must have felt from Jesus. We don't know how long exactly that this encounter happens, but he was desperately in need of a comeback. And here's what it says. We'll pick it up in verse one of John 21. Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. Now, let me just stop and just share a little bit because I literally have been on the shores of Galilee and I got to actually do a little teaching on a boat in the Sea of Galilee, on the Sea of Galilee. So. Uh, I just got to this, this will let you see. This is the northern area there of Galilee and where, where that is in relationship to Jerusalem in the south. You'll see Capernaum. You'll see the Galilee in there in the, in the north. This is the boat. Uh, uh, this, is, this is what it looks like. So you can see there how the, whole look, the, the look of Galilee is. And you can see all along the shoreline there. Let's continue on. It happened this way I'm going out to fish, Peter told them. Now, who's he talking to? He's talking to the inner disciples, those, that core of 11 that were left. Thomas was there, the scripture tells us. Nathaniel was there. James and John, perhaps uh, Peter's brother Andrew, was there as well. And they said, we'll go with you because when, you've, when you don't know what to do, you go back to what you've done. And So they go back to this life of fishing in this moment. And so they went out and they got into the boat but that night, they caught nothing. Let me show you the boat that we went on with the group of folks. And if you were there with me, you remember oh so well. It was a beautiful day that day. I got to do some teaching, as I mentioned there, and read some texts, and, and look out and see from the viewpoint of what that must have been like on the day that Jesus first encountered Peter. We'll talk about that in just a few moments. It says that early in the morning... Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Just imagine Jesus smiling because what you're going to see as you walk through these verses is that there are flashbacks. In fact, there are three very vivid flashbacks that must have been going in my mind through Peter's mind as this encounter is happening. And we're gonna look at that because that forms the anatomy of a glorious comeback. So Jesus says, you're gonna find some. When they did, they weren't able to haul the net in because of a large number of fish. Now, let me just pause and just say real quickly, Pastor Donnie, our student ministry pastor, for those of you who who don't know him, he always makes fun of me when I travel because my social media pics are often of food. And so, in honor of Donnie, we went to the restaurant called St. Peter's Restaurant, and it's right there on the Sea of Galilee, and they haul in regularly the very fish from the Sea of Galilee. And you could order it where it literally comes with head, eyeballs, and everything, and you got to pick it off. But I was not quite that barbaric. We did have some who were. I respected them, but I wasn't manly enough to do it. So I ordered the fillets. So, for and Donnie, wherever you're at, that's what the fish looked like. Probably not how they. They were eating it then, but that's the fish that comes right out of the Sea of Galilee. And so you get the large number of fish. Then John, the one who's writing here, said to Peter, it's the Lord. And as soon as Peter heard this, he does exactly what you would expect Peter to do. He just instantaneously jumps into the water, which again is going to connect To a previous story, the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals. That's going to play into our story as well here today. Very, very poignant moment in history. There were fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Come and have breakfast. And then Jesus took the bread and gave it to him and he did the same with the fish. I want to share with you today by looking at those verses how they connect to something that occurs in Peter's early journey with Jesus, something in the middle of his journey with Jesus and something at the end of his journey with Jesus that form together this glorious comeback. They help him to remember these moments when he encountered the glory of Jesus. And then Jesus is going to reinstate this man who has made such a blunder, the ultimate setback when he denies his savior the night before he goes to the cross. Father, as we prepare to look at your word in further detail, open our minds and our hearts. Lord, I pray for every person that's in this room here this morning that may have brought in with them some sort of a setback some sort of a loss, something, God, that would enable them today to begin to have a comeback. Would you grant that to them? Would you grant us all the faith and trust to believe you when you say that you love us, that you care about us, that you have a plan for us? And may that become alive as we look at Peter's story. May we find ourselves within his story. And ultimately, within your glorious story. We want you to be in the spotlight. We want you to receive the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So as you look at these verses, I wanna begin in this restoration journey with a huge haul. The calling of Jesus' first disciples, the very beginning of Jesus' interaction where they see his glory put on display. Luke 5 records this. Luke was one of the second, kind of second generation followers who goes back and figures out all the stories of Jesus to write a very detailed account of his life. And here's what it says. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, it's also called the Sea of Galilee, multiple terms for the same place, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, that is Peter, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered. Now, Simon is the professional fisherman. Simon's the one who has the business. Simon's the one who knows what he's doing. He's talking to the stonemason, the carpenter, the general contractor, Rabbi Jesus. Notice what he says, master master we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, in other words, we're the professionals, but because you're the, ma- because you're the rabbi, because you say so, I will let down the nets. Would you just practice that because you say so with me just real quickly? One, two, three together. Because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners and the other boats to come and help them. And then they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and says, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. Then Jesus says to Simon, don't be afraid. And Jesus would say that to him numerous times because he would need courage, because he would need that bolstering courage that would come. Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled up their boats on shore, left everything, and followed him. Jesus served them when he first called them. Jesus served them throughout his ministry. On the sea afterwards, he's there on the sea. He's already got a fire going. He's already got the fish prepared. He's serving them then. Even the night of his betrayal, he gets down on his hands and feet and he washes their feet, serving them. He says to Peter, because Peter agreed, because Peter obeyed, because he said so, he did so, and then he received that. Because of that, he was primed to be able to connect the dots later when he finds himself in need of a glorious comeback. Jesus does a work there. He says, do not be afraid. There was a huge hall. Secondarily, it points back to this scene that we find in Mark I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 14, "A walk on the water." Peter habitually jumps out of boats, and in the middle of his life with Christ, he asks for permission to jump out of the boat with Jesus, and he's going to see the glory of Jesus displayed. It says there, shortly before dawn, again, out on the Sea of Galilee, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to the disciples, walking on the lake. When they saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified because when you're in the middle of a storm, when all of that's going on, and you see somebody out there walking on water, you freak out. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, here it is, take courage. In other words, Peter, guys, don't be afraid. It is I, or I am. He's linking himself with the Old Testament, great I am. Don't be, what? Afraid. Afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out to you. In other words, Lord, if you're in this, if that's really you, tell me to come out to you on the water. Come, he said. And Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. Now, we're really critical of Peter and what happens next, but I would submit to you that he's the only one who got out of the boat that night. But when he saw the wind... When he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. And if you find yourself in the middle of a setback today, those are some of the most powerful words you can express to your heavenly Father. Father, save me. I need help. Maybe the setback's your own fault. Maybe the setback is something else that has happened to you from external circumstances. But whatever it is, Lord, save me is always the best way to start out to acknowledge your dependency, to acknowledge his supremacy over a situation. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him, you of little faith. He said, why did you doubt? In other words, Jesus desperately wants for them to get to the place where they will trust him implicitly and trust him explicitly. And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat, notice this, what did they do? They worshiped him because that's what you do when God gets into your boat, when he's in the middle of the setback and he's there with you and you see his glory displayed and the power of his supremacy over the wind and the waves and all of creation and they said, truly, you are the son of God. Here in this story, as the glory is displayed, it's the invitation for us to have courage and to trust Jesus. And then that fateful night there's the fireside disaster. It actually happens after Jesus has been in the upper room. And I stood with a group of others from Riverside just a couple of weeks ago in that place where they think that Jesus was in the upper room. And we get to read the texts that describe what happened in those moments. And then from there, Jesus leaves the upper room, and he goes down through the city and he crosses over the Kidron Valley and he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's there and he's praying and he's seeking his father. And I stood in the garden and I imagined what that must have been like as he was on his knees, sweating. Luke tells us as great drops of blood as his sweat and his blood and the vessels burst. It's called hematidrosis. And he's literally sweating in the garden. Judas shows up. And the guards come and they take Jesus away, and they go back up through the Kidron Valley and around the Temple Mount and up to Caiaphas's house. And they found archaeological evidence of exact place where Jesus was that night, and the Caiaphas' house was right there. In fact, today there's a church built on top of it to memorialize that place. Jesus ends up there, and he's hidden in away in a dark dungeon in the over hour over, the overnight hours and he's praying and he's ready to head to the cross and peter and john follow him and john somehow has access to this inner circle peter's left on the outside warming himself around a fire and in that time frame peter denies jesus look at it in john 18 Peter and John were following Jesus. And then the accusations begin because when you're from Galilee in the north, you have an accent that the southerners in Judea notice. You aren't one of those man's disciples too, are you? A servant girl asked Peter. He replied, I am not. And he's asked by others there around there. And another time he says, I don't know what you're saying. I don't understand what you're talking about. Another time he said, woman, I don't know him. He even swears an oath. He even calls down uh, promises that he's not even supposed to do right there in that moment. It says it was cold and the servants and the officials stood around a fire they had made to keep, him, to keep warm. Peter was also standing there with them, warming himself. And as you're in that place and you're imagining Peter around the fire, he's warming himself. They brought Jesus up out of the pit. And they're having this accusation time, this, these mock trials before Annas and Caiaphas and the rest of the Sanhedrin that are there at his house. And they're condemning Jesus to death. And in the middle of that, as Peter is over there from a distance away, says the Lord turned after Peter had made that final denial and looked straight at Peter Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him before the rooster crows, before the temple crier, before the person who would blow the trumpet at a specific hour, noticing the change in the guard and the change in the temple uh, priests, the temple crier, before the rooster crows today, you will disown, you will deny me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly the stains of that disloyalty are still on Peter. Yes, the Savior has been resurrected, but they've not yet had a conversation that they so desperately needed to have. Because in that moment, the last scene around a fire that Peter had had that we have record of was when they locked eyes and he had denied his Savior. Now, he's gone to the empty tomb. Jesus has been appearing to them over the course of 40 days. And at some point... Now Jesus finds himself on the shore of Galilee and Peter is running through the water. Having had those moments where he remembers Jesus and having the huge haul of that fish the first time, he knows it's him. He jumps out of the boat just like he did that night that Jesus helped him to walk on the water. He runs up to the shore and they begin to have a meal together. And then Jesus says, Peter, come over here. We need to have a talk because Jesus knew what was about to happen, but Peter was still carrying the guilt, the stain of his disloyalty. And Jesus knew that if he was going to build his movement upon Peter's leadership and upon the rest of the disciples, he knew that something had to happen. Peter needed to have freedom from the guilt and the shame that he was carrying. They needed to have a comeback. He needed to be restored. And so listen to the conversation. Jesus, each time, asks him, Simon, Peter, do you love me? And, and he says, yes, I do. Lord, you know that I do. And that happens three times. And each time, Jesus says, once he says, feed my lambs. The next time he says, take care of my sheep. The third time he says, feed my sheep. And then Jesus says this, very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter, notice this, would, help me out, glorify God. Then he said, follow me. And we know that Peter did that with the rest of his life. Not perfectly. He made mistakes along the way. But Jesus follow, or Peter followed Jesus the rest of his life until in about AD 64, his arms were stretched out and he was crucified under the reign of Emperor Nero. And he was so honored and also felt so convicted to be dying in the same way that his Savior was. And that his Savior had that he asked to be crucified upside down. And history tells us that his wife was there as well. And when she was being crucified, he said, remember the Lord. And in his life and in his death, he had a glorious comeback where his life would point people, would put Jesus in the spotlight. Not because of how great Peter was, but because of the resurrection, the setback did not have to define him and your setbacks and mine don't have to define you. And maybe no one else knows about your setbacks. Maybe it's just you and your secret hidden sin, your secret hidden mistakes, your choices that have led you to a place where you, like Peter, perhaps feel distant from God. Perhaps like Peter, you feel like in some way, privately or publicly, your life has not aligned with the purposes and plans of God for you. And Jesus wants you to have this glorious setback or glorious comeback from your setback. Jesus restored him three times, just once for every time. You see three denials, three confessions, and three commissions from Jesus. And he freely, fully restored Peter. And by his actions, Jesus that day is saying to him, Peter, for the rest of your life, you don't serve God for redemption. You serve him from redemption. And the same is true for you and I today. So I want to share with you just from those stories as we wrap up today three expressions that we see in these interactions. I put them in maybe my own words today, but three expressions that when I've experienced setbacks over the years, and I've had plenty of them in my relationship with Christ, three expressions that I think we see from Peter's life that will invite a glorious comeback, that we can come back from the mistakes, from the pain, from the hurt of this life. The first one comes from out of that first story. Jesus Because you say so, I'll trust you. Even even when it doesn't make sense, I will trust you. I'll help exactly do exactly what Peter did. Jesus, I'll help others find you. I'll fish for others. If you've had a setback, you can experience that for yourself. You can come back from that setback by beginning to say, Jesus, Jesus, because you say so, even if I don't understand it, I'll, I'll trust you. Secondarily, Jesus, if you're in this, remember when he was getting ready to get out on the water, when he was getting out, out of the boat, Jesus, I'll do this, but you better be out there. That better be you, and you better be in this. Jesus, if you're in whatever it is that I'm about to endeavor, a relationship, a change in job, a move, a transition in some other arena of your life, Jesus, if you're in this, would you speak to me? Would you, you invite the Holy Spirit? Tell me to come walk with you. You're not asking Jesus to follow you. You're saying, you know what? I want you to be right there. And I want to be right there with you. And I'll worship you. I'll live a life that expresses my worship and devotion. I'll take a risk, Jesus, if you're in it. I think you set the stage for a glorious comeback when you... Invite and ask and submit yourself to him to walk with him and live a life of worship. And then thirdly, Jesus, there are ways in which my life has denied your supremacy. But today, as Peter did then on the shores of Galilee, I'm telling you that I love you. I'm asking you for your forgiveness. I'll follow you whatever version of that would be in your vocabulary, those are the things. Jesus, because you say so, I'll trust you. Jesus, if you're in this, tell me to come walk with you. I'll go, I'll worship you, I'll trust you, I'll help others find you and follow you. And Jesus, I love you, I'm wrong. You set yourself up, I've been, I, I, the setback has caused me to drift, but today I'll determine to follow you. Those are the kinds of expressions, the kinds of ways that we interact with the risen Christ today that set us up. And you might be saying, you know what? I feel really close to God right now. I don't need any of this. Put it in your back pocket. Because there'll come a time when, like Peter, the pressure of others around you may cause you to stumble. The pressure of others may cause you to to deny in some way. So how will you experience for yourself your own glorious comeback? Jesus is not here today to condemn you. He did not come to those shores of Galilee that day with condemnation in his heart. He came for the very express purpose to restore and to help Peter experience a glorious comeback Beginning of his life, middle of his life, ending of his life. And again, because of the resurrection, there is no setback from which you can't come back. Now, Peter walked away from that shore that day and he began to follow Jesus free from the guilt and free from the shame that he carried. But it informed him, it changed him. And he began to help followers of Jesus in the first century until his life was taken roughly 30 years later. But he left two letters that were penned to early believers that express the gratitude and the glory and the spotlight of a person who's been changed by Jesus and his glory. So I want us to end... And I want to invite you in honor of the Word of God to stand with me. And I want to read. I think it's a very fitting way for us to end today before we begin to sing some more. And it's a very fitting way for us to end this series that we've been in, for us to see through this set of lenses how this comeback impacted Peter. He writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's why we're here today, because of his resurrection. And if you've never experienced that new birth, right there where you're seated, you can say, Jesus, Lord, save me. Just like Peter did that day. Lord, save me. Take my worst Take my sin, my guilt, and my shame. Take my denials. Take it all. I give it to you. He's given us that new birth into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time then he says, with hearts, with minds (coughs) that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. He's coming back. And I stood just two weeks ago on the Mount of Olives where it says that Jesus himself will return, where he said, I will return and I will come through the very same gate, that Eastern gate, that golden gate, I will come in and I will return to set up my kingdom. As obedient children do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And would you please read this last sentence? And notice our theme word for this series together. To him be glory both now and forever. Again, to him be glory both now and forever. One more time. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Jesus, we close this series. We close this time of studying your word by declaring your glory, your supremacy, your majesty. We magnify you. We thank you that you are still in the business of restoring our brokenness. You're still in the business of offering us a glorious comeback today. And I pray for my family. I pray for my brothers and my sisters that they might experience the power of your resurrection today, that we might trust you, that we might worship you, that we might follow you, that we might live in such a way that it is an honor to you that we put the spotlight on you now. We pray all of this In the matchless name of our risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.